today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. As we mentioned a couple of days ago, we're in kind of a lag period right now when it comes to city council. The election obviously was a few weeks ago, and uh, the new council, which includes five new members, uh, doesn't get sworn in until the first week of December. Uh, but that doesn't mean there isn't news coming out of City Hall. Uh, we find out that it looks like there's going to be at least one new face, maybe more, on the Hamilton Police Services Board. And uh, quite a few challenges facing the new council. Uh, so the learning curve is going to be pretty quick for the new members. Joining us to uh, talk about what could be happening here is John Best, of course, publisher of the Bay Observer. John, and I welcome to the program. Good to have you with us today. Oh, good morning, Bill. Nice to be with you. Word today that uh, Terry Whitehead, who's been a longtime member of the Police Services Board uh, and was re-elected, of course, in this past election, says he doesn't want to uh, uh, seek a shot on the board anymore. Does that surprise you? Uh, a little bit. Uh, there was no indication of that uh, in the campaign. But uh, on the other hand, let's face it, it's been uh, you know a pretty bumpy ride for all the members of that Police Services Board, and it has been for... It's got to be at least uh, two terms of council, uh, maybe more. So the, the, the idea that somebody uh, would like to get off the police services board probably shouldn't be a surprise at all. Well, there's a period of time there where I thought the official name was actually the much maligned police services board because that, they, there was always controversy going on. Yeah, the MMPSB. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. Uh, well, and there, and there still is uh, unresolved controversy. Uh, you know, we had the story earlier this week that Yet another member of the Police Services Board is, has been uh, suspended uh, pending a, an investigation of uh, who knows what. Um, I was thinking, uh, you know, this Ontario uh, Civilian Police Commission that oversees these police boards, they, they must just groan whenever they see a Hamilton phone number on call display. I mean, we've had four people suspended, uh, all this running to the teacher and... I, I don't know what, what the issue is, whether the threshold for filing a complaint with that provincial body is maybe too low. Uh, I'm not sure what it is, but uh, we're, we spent a lot of time um, in the principal's office, so well, to speak. Well, not only were the suspensions, yeah, not only, but we're told that actually there's two members that were being investigated. Uh, yeah. One, a citizen member, of course, who is the city appointee. Uh, and the other one, I, well, I've tried to ask around, and, and uh, I, I, as a matter of fact, I asked if it was Councillor Whitehead, and uh, nobody seems to want to confirm or deny. The only one who's actually said it wasn't them was Councillor Ferguson. Yeah, and uh, with regard to Whitehead, I think he did get into some controversy over uh, taking a picture from his car. Um, you know, there's uh, there's no nothing too picayune to be the subject of complaints in <laughs> when it comes to the police services board. So, who knows uh, who knows what's being investigated? But the the bottom line is um, we have a, a clearly uh, up until now, uh, and maybe with the new faces things will change. But we've got what appears to be a totally dysfunctional board. Uh, at the same time, they're passing annual police service budgets. Uh, in the 160 million range, and uh, I don't think the the appropriate civilian oversight is being applied to our police, and I don't think we've had proper oversight for many many years. Well, and you wonder just about attitudes and what's going on here, and and you know the appointees, and uh, 
and and like you say, the the brouhaha that's caused essentially it wasn't that the the, the essence of what that uh, citizen or the public committee said in mean, the last time that they filed complaints and it had to do with with a couple of the citizen members who had had a disagreement. Didn't they basically sell, tell these guys, look, you know, clean up your own backyard, okay? Not, instead of running to us all the time. I mean, they they I got that sense that they were saying, you know, just that's what you're there for to to act like adults, and they're not doing too much of that. So uh, maybe a few new faces wouldn't be a bad idea on that board. No, it wouldn't be a bad idea. The uh, the only problem with well, I, I guess it's a chicken and egg situation. Uh, you get new faces on, you get fresh perspectives, uh, and and hopefully in some cases better behavior. But what you also get are people who are new to the system, and uh, if you're thinking of a police services board role as being uh, proper civilian oversight, and particularly when it comes to scrutinizing budgets, uh, you're now getting people that maybe lack uh, even as much experience as the people they replaced. Having said that, I mean, the past police services boards... uh, uh, there, there was a little controversy three years ago over uh, a budget, and actually Whitehead was was kind of at the lead of that uh, pushback. But essentially, we're getting budgets passed year after year, and at the same time, when you go to the balance sheet for the police services board, you see them piling up huge, uh, huge um, reserves for things like uh, retirement, um, you know, vacation. Uh, in the tens of millions of dollars these reserves are sitting at, but it appears that there's enough in their budget annually that they're able to meet these retirements out of their regular budget. So you've got reserve funds piling up, uh, and uh, there's fat in that budget. There's just no way you can be piling up reserves in the tens of millions of dollars and then turn around and say this is a bare-bones budget, folks. Part of the problem, though, and, and this is something I've talked about on the program, and I know you've written about it, John, over the years, uh, are citizen members to boards. And, and the, of course, with the Police Services Board, there's only one citizen member appointed by city council. The others are, are provincial appointees. And, and, and I'm, this is not to besmirch the character of the people that are on that board right now, uh, because I know them all, and I know them to be fine, upstanding people and, and very smart and articulate, and, and uh, I've got a lot of confidence in them. But you always question uh, when appointments like this are made about cre- you know credibility and, and performance and whether or not they're actually capable of taking on that role. Let's face it, a lot of these are partisan appointments. And, and, and that, that, I think, colors a lot of people's attitude towards the board and, and a lot of the, the citizen committees. It, it certainly does. And, uh, and, but I think there's also, because I, I don't think our police services board is unique. I, I think there's a culture in police service boards of uh, where the members see themselves not so much as representing the community and safeguarding the community's interests uh, and safeguarding the public purse, uh, more they see themselves as kind of an enabler of whoever happens of the administration of the of the police. They're they're almost like a focus group, um, holding the the chief's hands and and enabling his uh, or her uh, work. And I think that's just a fundamental misread of of what governance and civilian oversight should be. And it's partly because of some of the legislation where there's all this business about they they shouldn't be involved in uh, operational matters, but uh, they they do have control of that budget if they choose to exercise it. And, you know, and and then you got the issue of is there there sufficient, no matter how bright these people are, and I totally agree with you uh, that there's some really, really fine people on the current board, 
do they have the kind of financial literacy uh, that you really need to properly scrutinize and question uh, the budget? Well, it's it's a question, and, and like I say, that's not calling into question these people, but I'm just talking about on a conceptual basis, and we see this happen an awful lot, at, even at the municipal level with some of these citizen appointments. I mean, if you track them, and again, there's some very good people there. It's 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 not a concern about that, but if you track who gets appointed to citizen committees uh, by city council, a lot of the time you're going to find out that they were people that worked on somebody's campaign or was a contributor or something of that nature, and and this is considered to be a payback. You know, hey, if I get a, I I'd like to get on that board if I could, and magically that seems to happen more often than not. Well, it does, and 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 frankly, that that isn't going to change. But even even if the appointments are partisan. Uh, it seems to me that you can still look for somebody who's got some qualifications because, uh, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter what party you're you're in favor of. There's a broad um, sector of people that support those parties. So, if if it's now a conservative government and we're and we're appointing people friendly to the conservative government, let's at least appoint people that have some background in finance or administration that that can offer, uh, you know, a proper oversight. Uh, you, you know, even if they are partisan appointments, you can still get people that have the capability of uh, really making a difference. There's a horse trading going on right now, as we know, John. We mentioned that obviously the council's not sworn in yet, but phone calls have already started. I think there's a meeting next week with uh, in, uh, orientation. But but that this horse trading about who's going to be on what committee, who's going to chair the committee, et cetera, like that, this, this, this goes on right now, and a lot of that stuff is going to be uh, pre-decided, I guess, uh, before these guys actually get sworn in as to who's going to sit on what committee and who's going to be uh, pulling the reins of power. It's a, always an interesting concept and an interesting exercise to watch. It's the most important in-camera meeting that we have every four years, and because they're not sworn in, uh, it, it's not a violation of the Act, uh, these people are technically, uh, you know, at this point in kind of a political uh, limbo. So they're they're very free to to caucus uh, on these issues. But if the public understood what really comes out of that, it's it's who's chairing the standing committees, who's on the the various committees, uh, and certainly who's going to be uh, appointed by council to the police services board and and other important boards uh, that that we have. Well, it's, and it's, uh, it sets the tone, doesn't it, for the council? Oh, sure it does, and it, and it kind of tells you who's running the show, uh, depending on, on who gets to sit on, the, on uh, the, these various boards. So, yeah, it, it's a very, very important uh, thing that happens uh, out of the sight of the public, and in fairness, I don't know how you do it in public, because it would be pretty ugly, I imagine, but uh, there you have it. Well, and the reason why it's so important about you know the tone that's set and who's going to be doing what and who's going to be calling the shots, really, to a certain extent, uh, is that these guys are going to have to hit the ground running. I mean, I don't even want to talk about the LRT issue right now, but we know that's there, that's looming. But but there's the thing, for instance, about cannabis. I mean, you know, how are they going to regulate that? Where are the stores going to be? How are they going to – there's stuff like that. They just run and on and on and on. This is going to be a pretty important first three or four months for this council. Well, it's like the dog chasing the car. Uh, what do you do when you catch it? And uh, that, that's going to be the case for uh, for some of the newcomers. Um, uh, pretty good crop of uh, promising-looking crop. You and I sat there and talked to a few of them on election night, yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, you wish them well, and you you hope that they you know that they don't lose their idealism too quickly, and that they 
maybe actually do bring about um, a little change in tone with our council. Well, what I'd like to see, I guess if you all had wish lists, is, is for these guys to stop kicking things down the, the road, which the, the council has done for the last two or three terms. I mean, issues like area rating, issues like uh, the well, entertainment facilities. There's one that doesn't. I never even heard any discussion about that during the campaign, John. But we've got three huge facilities, and we need to find out what we're going to do with them. I mean, we're going to bring in private sector. Are we going to rebuild them? Are we going to knock them down? Uh, nobody seemed to want to talk about that, but it, we've got to decide something like that sooner than later. There's the entertainment, uh, yeah, the whole what used to be HECFI, there's all of that to deal with. There's, uh, and, and, you know, if you think about that, uh, we, we're all aware that the, the Hamilton Bulldogs are, are certainly looking at alternative arena arrangements. Uh, so we could be in a situation where, where Cops Coliseum literally has no um, recurring tenant and, then the question is: Is it more valuable as a hockey rink, or is it more valuable as something as a as a building site? You know, a fundamental issues about whether you know that these facilities, that facility at least, should even uh, continue to exist. And if there's going to be another arena, is the city a partner in this? I mean, there's a lot of things going on, and we've even heard the story. Uh, and again, that, you know, the, that the, there's a possibility of a Grey Cup coming here in the next three or four years. The city has to be a partner in that. I mean, nobody holds a Grey Cup these days without the city itself actually being a participant. And I haven't heard anybody. Uh, well, as a matter of fact, what we've heard from a couple of the councillors, well, we're not putting a nickel in toward that. Uh, so do we turn our back on that? I mean, and that's only one councillor's opinion, but I mean, what this does is uh, I think it, it motivates a conversation about just what kind of a council this is going to be and how proactive they're going to be on some of these pretty controversial issues. Yeah, and just with the Grey Cup, I mean, uh, we're, we, all we have to do is look at what happened in Calgary uh, this week where um, uh, there was a very, very narrow vote that's going to allow the, the notion of them hosting a Winter Olympics to to at least continue for another day. But uh, the, the, the sense is, and I think we're seeing it everywhere, uh, the public is, um, I think, starting to become aware that these mega sporting events um, tend to really just cost money, and uh, you, you've got all these uh, tourism experts and so on who always talk about, uh, you know, the induced dollars that these things bring to a community. They do these calculations. Uh, I think a lot of it is bogus, frankly. I, I think, uh, you, know, mega, you know, when you think of the Olympics, especially whether you're talking about the summer or the winter Olympics, over the last 20 years, uh, they have refurbished uh, five or six major communities with fabulous facilities. And do we just keep building new ones over and over again, or do we go back to some of these recently built ones that are still in pretty good shape, or do we just let them go into uh, disrepair like has happened in Rio already? I mean, uh, apparently that's just a ghost town down there with all those billions of dollars spent on, on sports facilities. It's you know, there, there's probably a better use of public money than that. Grey Cup's a bit of a different animal, though, because most of the time it doesn't include any infrastructure. I mean, that's a, I mean, mind you, most yes. of the CFL teams already have new stadiums now. Yeah. Uh, so, and so that's done. That's a given. And I've, I've attended the last four or five, I guess. And, and I tell you, there is an economic boost to the city. I mean, Winnipeg, Toronto, not so much because Toronto doesn't seem to care much about the CFL. But in Ottawa last year, and, and I'm sure it'll be the same way in, in Edmonton. Uh, and I think about the last 12 years now, I saw some numbers on this the other day, uh, the city does, whichever city hosts the Grey Cup, does actually reap an economic benefit. I mean, and it wasn't always like that. The last time there was a Grey Cup here in 1996, it was awful. 
but the league was on its deathbed at that time, and the franchise here in Hamilton wasn't very good, and, uh, and it was a tough sell, but it's not anymore. So I, I'd be, I'd love to see this council behind the Tiger Cats to do something like that. But again, that's that's we don't even know what year that may be at this point, but you got to at least hope that the council is going to be open-minded about it. Well, there's no question. Uh, we, we have a stadium now that, that, that can be retrofitted for the purpose. The other thing we have that we didn't have in the earlier Grey Cup is we have so many more hotel rooms right in our city uh, that we didn't have before. So, you know, those are very positive signs. And, uh, you know, and, and the Grey Cup, let's face it, it, it is fun. It, uh, you know, this, the, the week leading up to it and and then, of course, the event itself, uh, it, it's, a, it's more of a fun event than, uh, you know, the Olympics, which tend to be deadly serious and have all kinds of national implications. Great Cup is, uh, it, it's Canadian and it, and it is fun. Well, we've had city councils in the past, John, uh, that uh, they simply don't want to have any part of anything. They just want to kind of look inward and just look after their wards and make sure that the cracks in the sidewalks are fixed. And that's all important stuff. But uh, I think I'd like to think that we've grown up a little bit and, and expanded our horizons and understand that we, we have to be a player. Uh, and, and, well, nationally and internationally, really, for that matter. I'm not so sure everybody on council buys into that right now, but uh, you'd like to think it's at least going to be the majority mindset. Well, and the other thing we have that, that, that was missing uh, back in the, the, the 90s, uh, we, we have these sports entrepreneurs now, Michael Andlar and, and Bob Young. These are people that can make things happen. They're, they're you know, people that, that know how to think big and, and make big things happen. Uh, we, we, we didn't have that kind of a driving force. And we've also got uh, a much more robust uh, private sector entertainment and hospitality community than than we had in the 90s, where everything was still under HECFI and a couple of hotels, but really not much going on. That whole sector is is very strong in our community now. So uh, th- this would be a, a good opportunity to um, harness some of that uh, energy and some of that expertise. Problem we've had, though, is... <laughs> Uh, especially in more recent history, we've had kind of an ambiguous relationship between city council and some of those uh, sports entrepreneurs that we've talked about here in this city, especially. And you'd like to think that some fences could be mended there. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that can be the case anyway. Well, I, I think we're certainly in better shape than we were, you know, four or six years ago. Uh, you know, there's there's useful dialogue going on on the, on, on the hockey front, I think. And uh, also, uh, you know, I think with the lawsuits finally settled or about to be finally settled on the uh, stadium issue where, you know, the the stage is set for, you know, leaving all that uh, animosity behind us and and uh, moving forward. Hope so. Hope so. John, thanks as always. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again soon. You too. My pleasure. Thanks, Bill. John Best, publisher of the Bay Observer. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.